that we can uh, certainly say that the driving force, the driving force of, uh, of science since Einstein is the quest for unity, which is now the title of the thought that we're going to conclude this evening with. As we said before, in Einstein's special theory of relativity, he unified energy and matter, he unified space and time, and he even connected, in a certain sense, space and time, brought it into the context of events that take place with the energy and matter. In E equals MC squared. But then he tried very, very hard for the rest of his life to unify gravity as he understood it in the general theory of relativity with the electromagnetic force was not successful. Later on, scientists discovered that there are two other forces that interactions that take place at the subatomic level, which are called the strong and the weak forces. So once more, unity, a grand unified field theory, that's what everybody is looking for. The fact that scientists look for unity is obviously a very, very Jewish thing. That's why most of the scientists that look and that achieve, and even though we said before that a scientist is always wrong if he thinks that he's going to come up with a, a totally 100% correct theory of reality, but nonetheless, every step is a step forward. That's, uh, that's obvious. That's actually what we meant. That's what we said, that Hashem makes it happen, that the scientist believes that maybe he's going to come on the complete theory in order to give him the motivation to progress and to, to rise from level to higher level of understanding, even though he'll never reach the total, absolute understanding of creation. The quest for unity is, obvious, as we said, is something very, very Jewish, because we're into unity. Shema Yisrael, Shem Hashem Echad. There are three different ways to achieve unity. That also correspond to mind, heart, and action, we'll call it. Which is Chabad Chagatni. And those are the three words I wrote here in, the, in Hebrew on the, on the board. One way to achieve unity is that the two, the two elements which are which appear to be different or even opposites one from the other, nullify themselves to something above them. The classic example for this in, in Hasidut is the two opposing officers of a king will come down and because of the awe of the king will bow down and become null in the face of the king. But then as soon as they rise up again and go home, they still remain to be different in their opinions and so forth and actions from one from the other. But in the presence of the king, they become null. 
And because of their self-notification, at that moment they become one. That's called hit patlut. The second approach to unity, but this is very, very applicable to our lives. Let's say even a, a couple, a married couple, that wants to achieve a greater, a greater state of unity. So one way is common bitul, say bitul to the Rebbe. But you always have to be in the presence of the Rebbe. Because if you leave the presence of the Rebbe, then you, you just fall back into, the, into your disparity, not parity. The second approach to unity is, is through Hitkaradut. Hitkaradut is inter-inclusion. Hitkaradut means that everyone reveals in himself the aspect of the other. Something like charge symmetry that we were talking about before. That each one has the other with inside himself. The third approach to unity is to undertake a common project called Shituf Pula, acting together. Even though we're different, but if we have a common objective that we're working on together, then the objective will unite us. Let's try to think about this, these three levels. The first level of hit batlut, of self-nullification, is, is the mind. So if the mind is the highest, the mind is chokhmah's bitur. But if you don't remain in that very high, uplifted state of consciousness, you just fall away from it. Meaning that the mind is not everything. It's important to realize that the mind, Chabad, is not everything as far as unity is concerned. That's why you say in Kundu Sayyid Pa'alut of the Middle Rebbe, he says that the heart is the essence of our service. We must use the mind but do not think that our service of Hashem is purely an intellectual endeavor. Our purpose on earth is to rectify the heart and rectify the action through the means of the mind. So Yitpatut is very, very important. But it's not the whole story. It's not the whole objective. The whole ob in order to have ultim ultimate and maximal unity, one has to have all three levels of unity. One has to have Yitpatut and Yitkaradut and also Shitufpula. She too pulled out once more that the common objective and that we actually we both have a function, we have a task to perform in reaching this object, that's what's going to connect us and unify ourselves. It is that I realize that you're in me and I'm in you. And since you're in me and I'm in you, so sometimes I can be, appear to be you and you can appear to be me. It's just a question of what side of myself, of my personality, I manifest. Since you're in me, I can manifest you, and you can manifest me, and then, and thereby, we can connect. Okay. In all of the approaches and attempts to reach a grand unified field theory, before string theory, 
the only one approach was the first approach of Hippatlut. That only at tremendously high temperatures, like the temperatures that are supposed to have been present at the beginning of creation, the beginning of the Big Bang, to the four interactions, the four forces of the world unite. Why? Because, as I said around the board, they just melt away. And when they melt away, they just become the same thing. So this was demonstrated for the weak force together with the electromagnetic force. At low temperatures, they are two different forces, meaning the people that say that there are only three forces are wrong, because in our world there are four forces. But if you raise the temperature very, very high, to raise the temperature is, is called, is, 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 what is it? it means you're burning things away. That's it, but food. It's just nullification. At very, very high temperatures, even the forces of nature <coughs> melt into one, into one plasma, as it were. So then, the, the theory is that even at earlier, in the very first instant of creation, the strong nuclear interaction was also one, at even at an extremely, infinitely higher temperature. Once more, it was already demonstrated that at a sufficiently high temperature, the weak and the electromagnetic become indistinguishable. Once more, they just melt away. But if you lower the temperature, that's like leaving the presence of the king, or leaving the presence of the rabbi, then they split. That splitting is also called symmetry splitting. They split apart to become two different things. But at very high temperatures, they're meat patel. They become null. And then the theory goes on to say that all three non-gravitational forces, interactions, which is the strong and the weak and electromagnetic force, at even a higher tremendous temperature, the first split second of creation, they're all one. And nonetheless, it does not help to unite gravity. Even if the temperature becomes infinitely high, gravity does not melt away into the others for some once more ununderstandable reason. But the other three, oh, they all melt away. How does, how does uh, string theory help in this respect? Because string theory posits by adding additional dimensions, spatial, hidden spatial dimensions that, that in actuality the forces merge together. That's called merging. A merging is like shituf pula. If they work together, they just fit, they work together. Once more, the approach, the chidosha string theory in order to unify all four of the forces of nature is adding additional dimensions in order that the forces don't melt away but they merge together which is the Nehi level what has science not yet discovered at all 
in any known theory, the intermediate level of Hid Karadut. There's no theory at all that says that in gravity there's the strong, there's some interinclusion of the strong interaction and the weak interaction of the most important one is electromagnetic interaction. There's some electromagnetic magnetic presence in gravity. Something inconceivable even to, to, to say that. Once more, the spiritually, psychologically and spiritually, these are three essential levels of unity. Meaning that until science discovers some form of unity which resembles Hitkarilut, the picture will not be complete. What's more, string theory is trying by adding additional dimensions to it. This is the word that they use to create a merging of the forces in action without melting them away. All of the previous theories, all of the gut theories, the grand unified theories, they call it gut, G-U-T, is all melting things away. But that does not help with regard to gravity. And even theoretically, it hasn't been proven even with regard to the strong interaction. It's just been proven with regard to the weak interaction together with electromagnetic force. What remains open is Yit Kaladut, meaning that also on the spiritual level, the most, the most essential thing is this manifestation of Yit Kaladut, that I'm in you and you're in me. Then we can go on to do things together. So once more, if we take all of this and apply it to our, to our couple, so there has to be the bitul to the to the rabbi, we'll say, to the king. Obviously, the king first and foremost is Akolosh Baruch which means commitment, common commitment, that we're null in face of our of the ultimate authority of our commitment. Then we have to find ourselves one and the other. Then we have to work together. And all of these three are essential. You can't, can't have one without the other. And science does not have all of these three forms of unity. That's why the quest for unity is still totally incomplete. There can be many things in Merz Hashem tomorrow the next day that will also show other very, very basic uh, concepts in, uh, in Hasidut that science is not has not reached yet at all, even though, why not? This is one, one example, one primary example. Now, before we conclude, we'll say something else, which is the, the what's written here on the right. QM is quantum mechanics, GR is general relativity. The problem with the 20th century science, physics, is that the two don't get along. That it's very, very small scales 
which will go on to explain this in Mirza Shem, the it's called either the frenzy or the form of the claustrophobia, the different psychological words that the scientists use for this, of the subatomic particles is so great that the laws of relativity, which are relatively gentle and not frantic, do not obey. Once more. General relativity says that things are curved, that space itself is curved, that you have to have a receptacle of the heart which is curved, but it's relatively a gentle curve. No extreme frantic things go on. Quantum mechanics says that it's very, very small regions of space-time. The smaller you get, the more, the more wild it gets. And that wildness of the small, this is something that we're going to have to try to cope with, that extreme wildness, the smaller you get, this is once what's called quantum claustrophobia is one of the terms, that the smaller you get and you put a particle, which is like a little soul, into a very, very small compartment, so he goes mad. And the smaller that the, you put him, that you confine him to, the madder he goes. He's just, just bouncing off the walls with extreme frantic craziness. And what happens because of that extreme frantic craziness is that all kinds of weird things happen, like space begins to tear apart. And all kinds of other weird topological transformations take place that negate general relativity, which is a relatively smooth thing. So as we're going to explain, in relation to one another, relativity, which is Einstein, which is a, a very, very special Jewish soul, is like the world of Tikkun. But as quantum mechanics is the world of Tohu. And the two, the world of tohu, of chaos, which is quantum mechanics relative to, to general relativity, the world of tikkun, do not get along. The general relativity is excellent to describe the cosmos, the large, the micro, but the the small, the katan, it doesn't, it can't describe sufficiently. Only quantum mechanics describes it. Once more, general relativity is the macro and quantum mechanics is the micro. And they do not agree. They especially do not agree at the micro level. It comes to the fore in certain phenomena like a black hole. The black hole can be a very, very small part of space, and it has a tremendous mass. So it's small, like quantum mechanics, and its mass is big, like the universe, like general relativity. And then the laws break apart. Or the same thing happens in cosmology, which is the state of the world at the very beginning, according to the Big Bang Theory, so once more, the world was very, very small, but its mass and its energy were very, very big. 
And then the two theories do not operate together. So as we're going to explain in Merz HaShem, in the, the basic quest for unity, the ultimate quest for unity is the unity between Toh and Tikkun, which is between quantum mechanics and general relativity. And that's why the missing link is Yitkalalut. Because Toh and Tikkun are not going to be Meshatev Pula ultimately without Yitkalalut. Not going to become just good partners doing the same thing without Yitkalalut. And they're also, even at the level of Yitkalalut of melting away, they're not going to both melt. And this has been proven that they do not melt away together. Meaning that the only possible way of connecting Toh and Tikkun, which is Yaakov and Esav, and Esav with a, with a quantum mechanic. Yaakov was into general relativity. Noah was achieved special relativity. But then came Yaakov and Esav. Yaakov was already general relativity. This will explain in Merzah maybe more. And, and Esav was a, was a quantum mechanic theorist. And they're not going to jive unless some heat color becomes manifest in them. This is what the Rishash teaches, that even extreme opposites like Tuantikun do possess some inter-inclusion. And that's the only way to, to unify them. I will say one final idea, that if everything would be Tikkun, one of the topics that we're going to have to address in, in depth is the concept of determinism. Einstein, and we know that one of his most famous sayings was that God doesn't play dice, dice with the universe. Because he was against the indeterminism or the probability of quantum mechanics. He preferred determinism, but we know that we have Bechirah of Shiva, the Torah, the most basic fundamental tenet of the Torah is Quantum mechanics allows much more it's all probability. General relativity doesn't, it's too much, it would prefer Yidiyah, so actually deep down the union of these two opposite theories, which is what string theory tries to do, but it's not, as we said before, it hasn't yet proven itself, neither theoretically nor practically. Basically, what it boils down to is the paradox of Yidi'ah versus Bechira, of God's omniscience. General relativity is like God's omniscience. And quantum mechanics is like our freedom of choice. Ultimately, goes back to the right and the left. The right is Yediyah, and the left, or the angel of Esav, is called the Samech Mem Aleph Lamed, which means left. As we said before, on the weak interaction, the left is the left, and the right is the right, and they do not 
They do, they do not possess symmetry. They don't change. The Samach Mem remains the Samach Mem in the weak interaction. Nonetheless, even he has to do tshuva. Hara has to become kisei latov. Until finally, that's the death will be swallowed up into the black hole. And that will be the end of the story. So again, all of this is foreseeing now what Mr. Chen will discuss uh, tomorrow and the next day. More about black holes and uh, swallowing up things and, and vomiting up things. And how to achieve unity between between general relativity and uh, and quantum mechanics. <laughs>